Warning, the self-righteous heathens you're about to listen to are vulgar and perverse. This show may cause headaches, nausea, and anal leakage, and can have the potential to make you a lustful cock monster. Enjoy the show. Then he'll have fun with himself. Intellectual saviors are chronic masturbators. Oh, we know that in the end you know he's fine. Yeah, we know. Because in the end you know he's fine. Our God is Christian, is better. Hey, she finally figured it out. Welcome to the Intellectual Saviors. I'm going to surprise Boggs on this one a little bit, and oh maybe God. some of the viewers. I'm actually going to give positive reinforcement to a corporation. Google has actually come out and said that they are not going to bend to the Fed's wills, and they have to have court-issued warrants in order to divulge contact information over Gmail and their other cloud services. Congrats to Google. They actually care about the people. That's cool. What I'm not, I'm not yeah. shocked, though. Whatevs. Actually, Google's not a bad company. No. They're actually pretty damn good. Yes. And they're very much for uh, privacy and uh, for the people and fuck the government. And, and they actually do a lot of stuff uh, in Africa and overseas and third world countries and trying to help out people and try and give back to the world that's given them so much. Kind of like the Christians. Because after all, their stock is like worth, I think it's like 500 and something a share. Yeah. So, yeah. And they also, (laughs) uh, just in case you all didn't know this, they have a a little like search engine online that you can use. You can go to google.com. What? (laughs) I thought there was only Bing. (laughs) It's all about Microsoft, dude. Okay. Uh, so to start off the show, we're going to have a little interview and we're going to do grumblings in the background, apparently. Well, I was uh, going to introduce you because you always get on to me. Dude, I'm tired. I completely forgot about the introduction. Fuck us. <laughs> now I have to wait for another pass because I had to like explain myself. <laughs> so you got the ginger bear wearing a... Very sporty Texas Rangers hat. He's a very angry bear tonight. Oh, yeah, by the way, fuck you, Josh Hamilton. And you got faggoty ass Michael over there with mm. his orange shirt. Why aren't you singing? That. It just sounds it's awkward. smooth and stuff right now. You want me to sing it? No. That's what I thought. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> and then we have our producer, lovely. Um, what? Who? I don't know. We have to come up with a name now. It's just Kristen Christ now. It's Kristen Christ. Just sure. So Kristen Christ is here. And I'm Boggs, giving you this smooth little riff here. <laughs> Looking at Mike right into his eyes. You know what really sucks, Mike? My name is Mike, too. We've never brought that up before on the show. But it really sucks being in your shadow in terms yeah. of Mike's. Well... Sorry, it's going to continue, so... 
Tonight's episode, folks, is going to focus a lot on this mental health care problem that we've got going on in the country. All these that social workers out of work and shit. Fucking the mental health problem we got going on in this room right now. <laughs> I don't know how long I can take this bullshit up, but I'm kind of getting tired of this gig. <laughs> and that's how we end it. Just a little scrape across the head while Eric gets a beer. Yeah. But now wanna... we have to stall the show off for Eric to get back. So... Oh, don't worry about him. You know, I was glad uh, we didn't do the show hey, last start week. The no, let's not do that yet. We got, we're going to do our fucking free for dude. We missed last week. We got shit to talk about. We got subjects and things and stories that people want to hear about. Oh, yeah. I this forgot. Is, this, is the, this is the way we roll, man. <laughs> My bad. Oh, and just uh, so you uh, lovely uh, listeners know, we're going to do a two-parter on this. So get ready for, you know, an hour of beating now and then another hour of beating later. <laughs> Off? Now, this is going to be getting well. Okay, he, that's yeah, when I get home. Mike, Mike that no. What? Just Eric, Eric. I didn't say that. No, I'm saying you didn't get it. I did get you just it. Kept, you kept rolling on. I did get it. Dick. Okay, <laughs> so anyway, but uh, as you guys heard, we actually have our own theme up and running now, and we're very proud of Boggs. He finally got his head out of his ass and put that together for us with the help. Maybe of, they haven't with heard the help it, of Eric because it did start off really good and we got a lot of hits, and then all of a sudden it's like flatlined and nobody gives a shit anymore. Well, they heard at the beginning of the show. Goddammit. it, uh, that is true. Well, That's only all a that really bit, though. Only, only a, a little bit. So if you want to hear the whole thing, you listen gotta, to shit and stuff. Well, or you gotta listen to the whole show. But we'll throw it on at the end of the. What second nips? No, fuck them. They gotta listen to shit and stuff. There you go. Eric, shit and stuff is Eric, funny, dude. Have you listened to it yet? Eric's putting down the fucking hammer. Uh, yeah, I put the yet. whole thing. Not together. you. I'm talking to Mike. <laughs> I did hear it. God damn it. You did not. Yes, I did. I heard that part where Kristen offered something. So anyway, <laughs> I made sure to put that in there. By the way, <laughs> just for you. So, anyway, I know Michael. Eric did this on the show, but I, I definitely want to give another shout out to uh, KK and his Weathered Underground and the Dollar Rods. They're great sports for letting us use their tunes for the past few months and everything. Absolutely. So we definitely want to give them big hands up. And then if we, uh, you know, if they ever put an album or something, we'll make sure to let you guys know so you can get iTunes. Knows? Yeah, we might we might uh, throw their stuff back on. Yeah. When they come up. Well, I know KK. They're working on some new stuff right now. So. Awesome. Don't know if you saw my tweet on that, but yeah, it was so, some new shit. I don't keep up with Twitter. Some new groovy tunes. Well, <laughs> you once. don't even do you even have a Twitter? Eric doesn't have any followers yet, so yeah, I just retweet his shit I, out. I seriously never use it. I I, I I did it like twice, and I was like, this site is stupid, so I just fucking stopped. Well, actually, it's the I, future man, I like it more than Facebook to be honest, because Facebook's like, it, there's just too much shit, and there just too many people ranting and just saying dumb shit. Twitter at least like makes you consolidate everything, so you can't really like go on he- these huge stupid rants that just get you pissed off, and, you- and then you want to respond to, it, which is the reason why you quit Facebook last week. Yeah, um, <laughs> that is true. Twitter doesn't allow you to do that because you only have a certain amount of room to say anything, so you can't really like talk a whole lot of shit or say anything like really deep or profound. It's just kind of like, Bleh. Yeah. there you go. <laughs> If you can get a zinger in, then that's about yeah, it. Yeah, so it's just like really quick, short one-liners, and that's about it. And then it's a whole bunch of people masturbating on Fridays because they like just fucking keep on retweeting their ats or whatever. That's true. That's marvelous. That's exactly what I want to do with my time is know where everyone's at. No, it's not that. <laughs> it's not that at all. All right, apparently Box doesn't understand. Okay. He, he doesn't. Moving on. He's not fucking technical technologically advanced yet but we'll that's, get him we'll yeah, get him up to speed we'll get him okay, on free for who wants. gets to go first me okay um <laughs> <laughs> we didn't take a vote on this i'm on a fucking roll okay well, since you're all pissed off and stuff eric we will allow you to go first uh 
I know that Michael knows who this guy is. Uh, I don't know if you guys know about him or not. Uh, Jack Lou. Mm-hmm. You guys know him? Anybody know him? Oh, my God. Can't say that I do. Uh, Michael, will you enlighten uh, well, them as who Jack Lou is? Or at least, like, what happened to him I, I think, uh, recently? Uh, I, may be, I may not have kept up with it, so I don't know exactly where you're going, but he, I think he was Obama's press secretary, and he got nominated to be the treasure secretary. Yes. So that's about as far as I know. I haven't heard much Precisely. about him since. Precisely. Okay, so uh, usually, you know, whenever uh, somebody gets a new cabinet in office or uh, they get a promotion or whatever, uh, news organizations, they try and uh, get some dirt on them or try and, you know, find their voting record or whatever it is, you know, right? Uh, but because, you know, he's going to be sec- chief secretary and stuff like that and he's involved with uh, big banking, uh, of course, they didn't bring up any dirt on him. You know what they were concerned about all week? Take a guess. Do you want me to enlighten the masses? Take a guess. No, I, I want them to try and guess. Hey, you know they don't know shit. I, I'm, I'm going to assume that we're going to bring up that stupid little college player with his girlfriend problems. <laughs> no, no, they weren't this, concerned this with that. This has to do with Jack Lou himself. Oh, they were probably concerned with him cursing or some shit. Nope. What do uh, what does Manti Teow and all Christians have in common? They oh, no. believe in fictional they, people. They all, <laughs> yeah, they all believe in fictional people. <laughs> all right, so... Uh, what is it though, Eric? I missed the punchline. They are concerned about his signature because you know how the U.S. Uh, Treasury Secretary or whatever the fuck, I can't talk. Uh, you know how they had their signature on every bill? Yeah, yeah. His signature is like just a bunch of loops. It's, and so they're talking about awesome. how ridiculous that's going to look like on a bill. That's what they're concerned about with this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Man, that is important. People who don't know him, he is a uh, ex-Citigroup executive. Yay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly who we need running the country. Right. Um, he's also a big uh, a opponent of, or a big proponent for deregulating Wall Street. He thinks that the less restrictions you have on them, the better they do and the better our country is and all that stuff. And he also maintains the idea that Wall Street had nothing to do with the recession that we're in. Yeah. He absolutely positively believes this. Which is just like Geithner before him and yep. Sumner, who Obama brought in, which are more... You know, yep. Yeah, so, uh, the same. It's the same shit. This guy was also uh, part of the uh, Bill Clinton cabinet as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, Just more uh, more bankers, just revolving door. Oh, you're a banking exec. Guess what? Now you're going to be U.S. Secretary's Treasury, so you can do all this dumb shit and fuck up our economy worse and then once you get out you can go back to being a, a wealthy banking executive it's a good job if you can get it it's awesome <coughs> yay america <laughs> you know on the note of that i found out um <laughs> my uh, my nephew called me the other day and he sent me a text message first and it said are you ready for me to rant <laughs> i was like oh shit this isn't gonna be good so i call him back i'm like hey what's up and he's like hey so i watched this documentary in my environmental science class and i was like okay and he's like, and it's about um, this kid that did a science project over his water outside of his house, and he found a bunch of chemicals in it. So his whole science <laughs> project was over all these chemicals he'd found in his water. Yeah. And one of the judges was apparently somebody who worked for the EPA, and they disqualified him, or they tried to disqualify him, I can't remember, because of the stuff that he had. So he did some more research, and the documentary, uh, when Kyle left class, was talking about how he'd found out that the EPA had been paid off by a lot of very large natural gas companies. Surprise, surprise. And I've, I've, I've since learned, too, that the EPA has very inconclusive evidence about fracking. Of huh. course. I wonder if that timing works out. 
It's hmm. a great so story. Bones. He was like, I really hate the whole government system. And I was like, well, Kyle, I'm I'm sorry about that, buddy. It's just corrupt through and through. Plain and simple. Money rules. That's it. We we have this idea that the populist rules, but that's a crock of shit. You know, the funny thing to that is, Eric, and this is probably the, we could. the point. We exactly. could if we got if our we shit paid together. Attention, if we paid attention enough, if you listened to our show and we did research for you, if that was all you did and you you know did your own research on this, if you actually went and decided for yourselves, you know what? I don't really care about Republican versus Democrat. I don't really care about how they you know, they, what they claim in front of me, what I care about is what they voted and what kind of money they're taking. And you just voted these people out every time that this kind of thing happened and you stayed up on it, it would change. Well, that's just the truth to it. Unfortunately, some of there, there is a little bit of flaw to that logic. I, I do agree that people need to educate themselves better and we need to do a better job of making ourselves aware of what's going on in the world around us. But when your only source is cable news networks and big organizations or big uh, news organizations that are owned by the same companies that are doing this shit, it's really hard to get that information. Yes, it is. And then on top of that, when it comes to political campaigns, who's going to have the most money to put their stuff on the airwaves and to get their name out the most? The people that are in the back pocket of the corporations. It's a never-ending cycle. We have, unfortunately, I think it comes down to either it's going to just burn down or we're going to burn it down. <laughs> not not like us specifically, but I'm just saying people will get pissed off enough to where they will revolt. And I'm not talking about stupid rednecks that think Obama's going to take away our guns. I'm talking about people that actually give a shit and are tired of this shit because it's, it's not, unfortunately, it's not going to change. And well, people once again, change, dude, people are, are content with ordering Arby's and going home and not giving a shit about that. Well, this is also why leaving. This is another reason why I'm against the monetary policy is because it promotes this. I know I know that you don't agree with this and everything, but when it comes down to it, have you ever heard of the phrase uh, you have to kill the madman? No. OK, so the story is, is that there is a, a village that's by a river. And uh, one day some people are out by the river and they notice somebody floating down the river drowning. So they jump in and save them. They're, they react. You know, it, it's a dire situation. They just react to it. And they save the person. Okay, so situation solved, right? Well, the next day, another person coming down the river drowning. So they react. And they keep on doing this for a couple, like, couple more days until finally they're like, maybe we should go upstream and see what's going on. They go upstream and there's a madman throwing people into the river. So you have to kill the madman to stop the problem. Someone needs to kill whoever that's wrote the that point. story. When you look at all of the problems in the world and everything that's going down, it always stems from money. You have to kill the madman. That is the root of it all. I don't care if you don't think it's evil or not. That's irrelevant. The complete relevancy of it is that it is the root cause of all of our problems is money. You have to kill the madman to stop the problem. If you removed currency... I'm not saying it's something that can happen overnight. No, I'm saying that you couldn't have it, and it's not going to change anything. Certainly it can. No, it won't. 
You guys. Absolutely. We're, it, we're hung up on the idea I, that it was a gradual thing. Stop it. I'm no. not going to let you guys There's do this shit again. There's nothing about that. You have to get rid of a currency. All right. Like, fuck welfare. Gradually... Fuck all this. We're going in this right now. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> this, is, this is the show that we decided, fuck <laughs> this. Because you two, Eric versus Boggs. We're gonna, I was going to say, we're going to do this show. We are, Me and Eric already <laughs> talked about it. I'm, we're going to do a fucking debate style monetary shit between you two. We're not doing it now. God damn it. Yeah, and you know what you guys are doing? You guys are bringing down the listener. And if the listeners lived in Ireland, I have the perfect solution for this depression that you're causing right now. Because in Ireland, there's an uproar now because one of the towns has been calling for the issuance of drink driving permits. I no, have heard no. about this. Not a drunk driving permit, mind you. A drink driving permit. I heard about this. These are permits that would allow people to drink alcohol, then drive to make it easier for them, the people in isolated and rural areas, to visit local pubs so they could get, you know, they can get out, get the groove on stuff, and so you know, associate with people. Um, Kerry County Council, which governs an area of a population of about one hundred twenty thousand has asked the Irish government to allow some drivers to basically have up to what they say is three pints of beer. See, in uh, in Ireland, folks, they drink pints. Yeah, They don't have the nice little 12-ounce bottles like we have. But anyway, so they're getting fucked up over there. And it actually passed in their little town thing. And, of course, like I said, the reason behind it is they're saying, you know, it would greatly benefit the people living kind of out in these little nook areas and stuff in the rural area so they could go and hang out with their friends and stuff because it might help prevent suicide and uh, depression. So anyway, the guy who wrote the bill, his name was uh, Danny Healy Ray, and um, he put it forward, and he said that it wouldn't cause any harm to anybody because uh, the people that it would affect most are people that live out in these little rural areas that only have, you know, travel on these little country roads that no one travels on. They only go about 20, 25 miles per hour because they can't maneuver. So you're going to have a bunch of drunks fucking rolling around there now if they get the or drink driving permits. So they said that last year they only had a uh, 161 people killed on roads in Ireland, and it was down from 186. So evidently they're trying to make sure that they get the quota back up. <laughs> so that's what they're working on. See, that's a fun story. You guys feel better now? No. Ah, fuck you. Okay, well, this one will make you feel better, Boggs. Uh, in uh, New York uh, last week, have you ever heard of a subway grinder? It's in, when I read this, I thought of you, this story. That's... Okay, okay. Keep <laughs> so, going. So anyway, you know uh, New York's a little bit overpopulated. It's kind of the sardine no, theory. You have so many no, people there, and no. they jam-pack their asses on these subways and buses. And you have these uh, people who are a little bit on the perverted side, and what they do is they take advantage of this situation by finding nice young ladies, and then they kind of press themselves up into it and fucking do their business. So um, there's a case that came forward because in a – 2002, this is what brought the light. This guy, Jesse Mack, he's a 29-year-old guy. <clears throat> he uh, entered a train and got behind a 14-year-old girl and was uh, pressing up and stuff on her. And she said it was real weird the way he was kind of thrusting. And she kind of turned around and looked at him and he kind of turned away and stuff. And she noticed by the time she got to the end of her route that uh, the man had ejaculated on her backpack and on her coat. So, of course, she informed uh, the school and they contacted the authorities. And... Um, it went to trial, and there's. They finally found out, you know, a few years later by DNA, he was in the system that you know who it was, and they went to trial for it and stuff. And there was a uh, the judge there basically said the of uh, the court of appeals that it it was impossible, you know, for them to do the charge against it and everything. Um, and they threw it out, saying it wasn't um, 
I don't know how to say it. You know, it, it wasn't like egregious enough. So they're not calling it like a felony. It's basically like a misdemeanor charge. And um, so basically, because of this ruling, there you can are, dry hump uh, underage people. Yeah, you can you can basically get on any bus or subway in um, right. in New Warning York. Warning to anybody who's below the anybody. age of fourteen: Michael is on the loose. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like the story now because of what Eric added to it. <laughs> I don't like that at all. Mike, you have it any plans to go feelings. to New York anytime Be soon? No, I was saying that for you. I thought you might want to do that. Be wary. Um, no, no, not really, not really interested. So that one didn't do anything for you either. Subway grinders, you can get uh, fucking drunk and drive in Ireland, and you can grind up against fucking young girls in New York. So I'm putting together a, a montage. I'm of... putting together a package for you of things <laughs> to do when you go on vacation. That could be like a retirement bucket list. Yeah, I was somebody. about to say, is this a bucket list? That we're bucket list. <laughs> you're putting together. Dry hump in New York, and then we'll go to this. Drink and, now, and drive in Ireland, and then after that, you can go to uh, Brazil, where there's a young oh, lady God, or dude. <laughs> Dude, I've Christ. got a ton of these, man. We're going to fucking roll through this shit. Oh. I'm making up for last week, so just deal sure, with sure. it. Sure, sure. Go, go, go. Why, dude? Don't fucking pressure me. You guys just want your fucking rant. You yeah. can give me a few I seconds know, I'm just here. Saying that, I'm just saying that we chose to do the longest free for possible oh, on the most information-heavy of shows. Because <laughs> we already knew going in that's why we a two-parter. That's why we've already said it's going to be two parts. So this girl, Rebecca Bernardo, she's an 18-year-old girl in Brazil, has decided to put her virginity up for auction. Um, what happened was uh, she doesn't have a father, and her mother had a stroke. So she's having to take care of her mother. And, she, of course, she can't uh, pay the hospital bills and you know for the care of her mother. So, I mean, it's it's a sad story. and you know, it, So it's like it's you can kind of understand. She comes from a very poor town in Brazil, and they don't have anything. And this is what she's doing. So this local um, news channel got wind of it, and they basically offered to go ahead and pay for all of her medical expenses and stuff. And she was about to take them up on the offer, and then the first uh, couple bids started coming in for it. And, like, right off the bat, she got a $35,000 bid for virginity. And then she said, well, you know what? Maybe I could get some more money out of this, and uh, me and my mom can move out of this fucking shit So she goes, I think I'll just go ahead and keep up with this still. So... That's open for you, Boggs. If you can pull together probably about 40, 45 grand after you uh, make your trip to fucking Ireland and New York, <laughs> get your plane ticket for Brazil, asshole. So I go to Ireland to get kind of drunk, and then I go to New York to get my bottle shook up, and then I go to Brazil to pop the cork. Is there that you what you're go. saying? There you go. And uh, don't try and beat Boggs to this because he's already fucking planning for it. This is on his itinerary for the summer vacation. Yeah, he's on travelocity.com, setting it all up right now. Click, <clears throat> click, click. He actually is. Don't fucking lie, dude. He's got his computer. He's just going to town. Okay, so he'll be sure. busy for a couple seconds. So Yep, pretty busy. This is a uh, fun story, too. This made me think of Boggs a little bit as well. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck did you do this week? <laughs> a, did you work this week? Fuck no, Are you dude. fucking on vacation? Yes, I was working very hard. Uh, apparently, he thought about you an awful lot. I know. Dude, I missed you. Oh, that's so sweet and kind and not true. Yeah, it isn't true. So anyway, there's a uh, a priest that has been arrested for um, dealing meth in uh, Connecticut. Badass. Yeah, Monsignor Kevin Wallen. He was a 60-year-old. He was uh, busted for selling as much as $9,000 of meth per week. Damn. Um, the diocese spokesman, uh, Brian Wallace, told uh, the Connecticut paper that uh, we approached him and he admitted he was struggling a bit. And shortly after that, he resigned last summer and the bishop granted him a sabbatical. While a uh, pastor at St. Augustine's sources said he often appeared, he disappeared for days at a time. And a rectory personnel became concerned and notified diocese officials when Wallen, sometimes dressed as a woman, 
would entertain odd-looking men, some who were also dressed in women's clothing and engaging in sexual acts. <laughs> so now, after uh, leaving the priesthood, Wallen has purchased a uh, North Haven adult film store called The Land of Oz. So put that on, <laughs> put that on your itinerary. God Almighty. <laughs> the uh, business sold uh, X-rated videos and sex toys the and may Land have been used Oz. to. Uh, yeah, that and, is a brilliant name. <laughs> and uh, sex toys and that may have been used to uh, launder the drug money. The investigator said. Nice. So uh, because of his little um, cross-dressing meth, Dylan, he's going to face probably about twenty years in prison, about six million dollars of fine. So sure, he was uh, selling that poor. God-fearing man. Well, think about it this way, dude. He was sure he was, uh, you know, cross-dressing and blowing old guys and doing meth, but you know he wasn't touching kids. So we got that going for us. And uh, you know what's funny is he's being arrested and charged for things that I don't even think are that big a deal. Yeah, that's true. Actually, what has he done? Oh, cross-dressing and fucking old guys. You like that? And then, don't no, you? meth dealing. Meth dealing. That's what he's going to jail for, is dealing in drugs. Yeah, that's pretty much We've already what had an is. episode about why that is kind of stupid. Although I do like the fact... I, th- that part doesn't... I don't really care about in the story of the meth dealing. It's just the fact that he was dressing up and banging guys in the rectory at the uh, church. That's yes. what made in the me... Rectory. <laughs> that, that <laughs> is, he was great. banging them right in the rectory. <laughs> <laughs> right in the rosary, baby. <laughs> oh, get me in the rosary. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <Is> that <laughs> Sorry. You like that, Casey? <laughs> Wait, you're not talking? You're going to be talking a whole lot. I don't know why you're not talking. Well, she's saving it. I don't know if I want to be part of this show. <laughs> you're going to be part of this show. Forever. Yeah, you're tied to us now. There's no getting away from it. And this is the last one before we fucking go with the grand finale there, sir. So Jesus. I hope you get... Dude, before is, the grand finale? Yeah, dick of the week. Oh, okay. This is it, dude. But this one is more just uh, shitting on the fucking Catholics because I don't really, you know, I don't really buy into their nonsense. Um, and plus, like, we just had the uh, the meth uh, fucking priest banging old dudes in the rectory. <laughs> so now we've got to turn it towards the children. It always goes back to the children. <laughs> oh, although these it guys... with you. Unfortunately, these Ouch. unfortunately these priests weren't just grinding on their kids. But uh, oh. so a retired cardinal, this in, came out in L.A. that for the past like twenty five years they've had a major abuse scandal, and uh, this church that encompasses like a couple hundred thousand people um, in the area in L.A. where they've been covering up these sex abuse charges. Uh, the retired cardinal there, his name is uh, Roger Mahoney. Uh, his and the top uh, Catholic Archdiocese of Los Angeles, they said they maneuvered behind the scenes to shield the um, priests that were doing molestations um, and provide damage control for the priest and its parishioners. Uh, basically, they have notes and stuff that he had kept. God damn it. I'm just getting ready for a fucking thrashing. So anyway, uh, Mahoney demonstrated no, no, keep going. He, he was disturbed about abuse and sent a uh, problem priest for treatment, but there are also uh, lengthy delays and oversights in some cases. Uh, Mahoney received uh, psychological reports on some of the priests that mentioned the possibility of many other victims. Oh, Mahoney. For example, there are no, <laughs> there's no indications that other church leaders are investigated. Um, so basically, Mahoney, he took over Mahoney, the job Mahoney, in, Mahoney, um, Mahoney, yeah. in 1985. When I heard that, I thought of Police Academy. Um, I thought he was so horny. No, it's not Mahoney. It's Mahoney. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Mahoney. But he took over in 1985, and it said that the priests that they had at the time were sent out for state... Priest? 
it for psychological treatment because they revealed psychological uh, treatment for Mahoney. They revealed more when the therapists Fucking were not homie. required to report the uh, child abuse to law enforcement. So what they did was they would send them out of state to these therapists and stuff for treatment because then they couldn't turn them into authorities to gonna get them. The authorities can get them on a honey. So anyway, at the time the clergy were not mandated to not report mandated the sex abuse. Not mandated to be honey. Damn this motherfucker. This is a serious story about a major cover-up. These fucking... Listen to this, you son of a bitch. In 2007, you motherfucker, the archdiocese agreed... Listen to this. 500 victims of priest abuse. 500 Mahonies. And he had files on him, and he was going to turn them over. But a lawyer for about 30 of the priests that were fucking the kids... Fought to keep the, the record sealed. This is a disgrace. And, and you're making fucking jokes. I am just about done with this whole fucking show. This is this is ridiculous. Fuck it. Fuck it. Just like he'd fuck the kids. Because his name's Mahoney. All right, cool story, bro. Keep on going. <laughs> All right, so I guess keep, we're, I guess no, we're no, gonna keep going, dude. This is going. awesome. I'm done. We're just going into this. Is it? I'm fucking finished. I'm just saying, and the whole point of that song was his name is Mahoney. Really? It, that sounds. He wasn't the one fucking so the close. kids. He was the one covering up the kids. So he wasn't Mahorny. There was thirty fucking. <laughs> there were thirty fucking priests that were diddling the goddamn kids. And Mahoney decided and that it was up. and it over five hundred of kids. That's a that, lot. that they have files on. That's that they had files on. So that's ones that. I'm saying wow. this is serious fucking shit, and Boggs That's is making crazy, jokes. Fucking I'm sorry to the kids now <laughs> for this fucking song. <laughs> I'm sure all of them are like, you know, I was really you. into your stuff, and now I just you you fucking take a time out. I mean, a lot of people you think that like we might be pieces of shit for what we just did, but to be honest, like if one of us got raped, we'd probably do the same thing if we were trying to tell our story what, about being raped. Sing a song about it while we were telling it. <laughs> yep. I well, I got a funny story for you later, later, but we have so tears, much for this episode. like taking a cold shower and Boggs over there just like doing his little guitar, man. <laughs> I'm curled up on the shower. All right, so I guess you have uh, your, your dick of the week. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna finish this off now with I think the. Uh, gonna be dead. <laughs> Is that better? With this week's uh, Dick of the Week. Cue the music! Okay, so, of course, <laughs> there's a lot of people that are very well-deserving and everything. I mean, I could have fucking put Mahorny, Mo- fucking Archdiocese Mahorny could have been Dick of the Week, but that was shit that took place, you know, a long, long time ago, and I want to be relevant. We got to keep it fucking, uh, you know, up to times, right? So this week... This representative, Catherine Brown of New Mexico, Republican, put forth a bill which would charge a rape victim who ended the pregnancy early with a third-degree felony for tampering with evidence. So basically, what the bill says is tampering with evidence shall include, you're going to love this, procuring or facilitating an abortion or compelling or coercing another to obtain an abortion of a fetus that is a result of a criminal sexual penetration or incest, with the intent to destroy evidence of the crime. So I love this. So if a woman gets raped, if she has an abortion, then she's charged with a felony for destroying evidence or tampering with evidence of the crime. That is, is that not the most fucked up thing you ever heard? 
That's ridiculous. Do you want another song out of me? Because I just want to. I want to point out they're not listening. They're fucking no, I, doing. No, I am listening. That's they're getting fucking ridiculous. Beers and stuff. I am getting a beer, but that's not the point. I uh, I do think that that is kind of bullshit. You think it is a little? You think that might be a little bullshit, box? Well, I mean. The irony what, is What like, exactly is bullshit box Get your fucking guitar And sing out Priest Raven Boys again You son of a bitch Let me open my beer first You, know, you don't <laughs> okay. have to Whip out your guitar You can just Oh anyway but Say what you she, think is That bullshit. came out The middle of the week And she took a lot of shit For it so she's going To reissue the bill now She's going to make Some changes where I, I don't know the exact Breakdown is on it Is she just going to Reword it <laughs> To me that <laughs> Pretty sounds much. like To me that sounds like It was a loophole And they brought up That hey there's a loophole Here right. where No no raped, it's, That's completely Unconstitutional What she's going to do I mean and a felony For this I think they said It, it could carry like A three year sentence But I think she's going To rewrite it now So the doctor Performing the abortion Would get the felony charge And it would be A lesser oh. charge For the woman First of all I think if you go get an abortion, I don't think you have to say, hey, I'm getting this. Can you fucking rip this fucking kid at me because I got raped? I don't think it's going to be on the doctor. I mean, unless they have to sit there and do questionnaires like, so why are we having this? Oh, rape? Okay. Oh, I can't do this then because I'm tampering so with evidence. So you raped? I don't think that's how it works. It's a, it's a totally ridiculous bill. So do you so. feel that this bill is another stab at just abortion being legal, period? It, yes, of course. That's all it is. So I, I, w- I would say Catherine Brown, dick of the week, but in this case, cunt of the week. Well, so, that, wow. this well, kind of harkens to a beef that I have with a lot of religious people is that they, they they claim to be these like holy people that are good and never lie and do all this stuff. But they have all these like really shady tactics and ways that they go about things and how they get their agenda taken care of. I don't really think that that's very uh, moral of them. You know what I mean? I think it's a, nah. a. I think it's a severe irony. I think it's yes. a severe irony that Absolutely. most Christian people that I've ever been around in the entire southern half of the country are also Republicans who are completely against socialized anything. Yeah. Where most of the time you'd think that they'd be the most gracious and giving of all people, given what they're taught. Um, hey, that's a good segue into uh, the topic. Yeah. Yeah, it is. After all, this is pretty much an entire show f- of Freeper. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, man, we're making up. And we got a long show, and the second part of it mm. is going to be just fucking hardcore fucking welfare and good times right. talk. Uh, Kristen, do you want to set us up on here, this no? interview? Yes. I oh, yes. <laughs> I acquired a stellar oh, interview. Stop. Hey, Kristen did say that if you interrupt her, she's basically just going to storm out of the room. That's not what not she you said. specifically, like any of us. <laughs> That's what we always do. No, she didn't say if we interrupt. No, no, not just with she her. has a double standard though, because I can't do Guitar Man to her. That's, uh, that's she, disrespectful. This is what she told to me. Mike but it's fucking hilarious it's fucking when you hilarious. do it to everybody else. She told me if I verbally raped her, then she would get up and run out of the room. Just, just to be completely clear, we're doing exactly what she doesn't want us to do. <laughs> Okay, that's actually a good point. I was, to be fair, Kristen, I did just defend you. So, you want some of my beer? Okay, that's all right, Kristen. That was weird. Okay, so we're gonna play the interview for you and then give you some commentary afterwards. And here with me today, I have a guest named Amanda who has generously offered her time to answer some questions for me. So, Amanda, I want to start with a basic question. Could you describe the primary reasons that persuaded you to enter this line of work? I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do when I got out of college. Um, I majored in psychology, but I found myself always gravitating towards kids. And it's progressed from um, being um, sort of a house parent where I took care of kids that came into foster care to um, bringing them into foster care and with the CPS 
um, foster care system to now working with kids in a school district. And what would you say the fundamental differences are between your job versus a school counselor's job? I think that um, the school counselors at this time are more responsible for dealing with academic testing, like what's now the STAR test, it used to be the tax test, and uh, they do guidance lessons, <clears throat> and they also help create schedules for the kids. Um, and it's hard when I say, you know, I'm a school counselor because I actually do counseling with kids. So a, a child has to be um, in the special education system and then they have to qualify for counseling. And then I see them as though an outside counselor would. So I guess one is more of a guidance related and one is more of a therapeutic based practice. And what were the uh, requirements to, to obtain your position? Did you have to have a bachelor's degree? Um, anything like that? Did you have it? have to have any sort of accreditations first? Well, the job that I initially applied for with the school district was a behavior specialist. And for that, it was more about experience than it was about education. Um, and it sort of morphed into taking on, a, on the additional role of doing therapy with kids. So for the behavior specialist position, my experience working with CPS and navigating the, the government system, so to speak, um, was a prerequisite for that position. But for the counseling position, I'm a licensed professional counselor, which means that I had to complete an internship, a master's program, and um, continue an internship after I graduated and passed the state board mm -hmm. testing. And then after 3,000 hours of doing an internship, I was a fully licensed counselor, which is what I am now. What would you say is the typical protocol in determining which clients meet with you? Do you get to decide? Does somebody else decide for you which clients you meet with? How does that work? Um, the ARD committee, which um, is the admin, ad, admission review and dismissal committee for special education, um, is comprised of various people within the school, and they determine whether or not a student is should be referred for counseling, and then I do an assessment um, based on some uh, projective testing and, um, and just talking with the student. I think an important component of being a part of the therapeutic process is the desire to just be a part of it. So um, me meeting with them and I make the determination. On average, how many clients do you see per week? Or is that totally variable um, depending on the you know beginning of the school year, middle, and how does that into it? Um, I have some clients that I meet, meet with weekly and some it's five times a week and some that I just check in with periodically. I would say on average I meet with 10 to 15 clients a week. So what would you say are some of your primary goals whenever you're seeing a new client? Is it kind of just a matter of like getting to know them first and seeing what the initial issues are or how, how do you go about that? The initial meeting is to develop rapport. So sometimes we'll just even play a game and I either allow them to win the game or I allow them to lose the game based on what I know about the student. Um, but just developing that relationship, I, I mean, it's difficult as somebody else coming into the school to sort of set yourself apart. And so I just, maybe the first two sessions we may just do game building or, you know, they can ask questions of me and I emphasize that the confidentiality of the counseling sessions with them and, and that sort of gets the ball rolling. What kind of expectations are, are set before you? Um, who gives you um, deadlines, things like that? Well, the, the state of Texas with the ARD committee has specific guidelines for um, how often I 
report to the parents the progress in counseling or how often we reassess the student um, and and they meet annually so I have to meet with them annually and that's really all of the guidelines um, that I have although the question is you know when you have counseling goals which are sort of ambiguous how do you take that ambiguity and quantify it and then give a an appropriate amount of success in that goal and how that relates to their education and how well they're doing in education so um, I have I set guidelines for myself in in how to um, help the student manage the educational system as well as take what goes on at home and sort of help them compartmentalize how to be successful in the education setting so I mean it's really a little bit of both but I probably set more goals for myself than anybody else and um, would you say that like as far as whenever it is time for you to report on the progress of a certain child, does that remain like pretty independent or are there a lot of people you have to report to first? Um, I have to report to the art committee, which is the parents, the principal, the a general education teacher, a special education teacher, and a diagnostician. However, confidentiality is maintained. Mm -hmm. So the parent is aware of the goal and I simply say whether or not they're in progress towards meeting our goals or if they if they've made any progress at all so it's sort of a fine line to walk when you when you talk about the confidentiality of counseling versus reporting progress to the parent and so I talk with the student prior to going to an art meeting and I say this is what I'm gonna say or do I have your permission to say this kind of thing mm -hmm. um, and I go over with them you know what sort of things what sort of questions I might get and then have them give me permission Hmm. to speak on their behalf. So at what point would, I don't know if this has ever happened, but what point would a crisis or a protective agency come into the picture? And if and when that happens, does that absolve you of any of your prior duties? Sometimes we get kids that have been abused or um, and disclose the abuse. And in that, when that happens, I, I tell them, right from the very beginning, you know, everything that you say is confidential unless you tell me you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else. Or if I find out that, that somebody's hurting you, I mm -hmm. have to call somebody to get you help. Um, and so though that can come into play and you, and you have the Department of Family Protective Services come. Mm -hmm. um, other crisis situations are kids that um, self-mutilate. They'll call me um, and kids make terroristic threats towards teachers, um, tear up classrooms, those kinds of things. And they call me and there is no, um, absolving any of my duties. I, I'm, I have responsibility to the state board as well as the school system. Um, and as well as, you know, the kids. So there is no, I'm, I'm eligible to be called for any sort of co court or any divorce case or any, or anything like that. And you just sort of go in knowing that. Have you ever been invited to or summoned to a court before on any case? Not with the school, but when I worked for CPS, I was in the court all the time. So what kind of union regulations are you required to abide? In Texas, there really is no union. Um, I'm part of the American Counseling Association, and uh, they have their ethics, as well as my state board has their ethics. And they're pretty, um, they're very, very strict. The board is designed not to protect me, but to protect the public from me. Mm -hmm. So anybody that files a complaint on my licensure, I have to defend myself to the board. So I, you know, I get updated information as part of the American Counseling Association. They sort of filter that information to me so that uh, it's easier to understand. And, and it's sort of, they send it to me regularly so that I am aware of what other ethical issues may be arising or changes in the law and stuff like that. 
are there any socially enforced rules that um, are given to you from your school district? <clears throat> I think that historically, because the school counselor themselves, they don't have the sort of confidentiality that I do, that, that my licensure ensures. Um, and so the school district sometimes sees my role as a way to gather information from the student to report back to them. And so there's a lot of um, social pressure from the school district to reveal confidential information. And so it's been a process over the last few years to sort of hold that line and say, I can't reveal this because they haven't given me permission. Mm -hmm. But maybe here's another way to get the same information. You know, here's a different way that you can talk to the child and ask them. And if they don't give it to you, then they don't give it to you. And it's just sort of is what it is. How often or seldom are you required to attend school board meetings, faculty meetings, staff functions? I know like with in-service days, sometimes that's strictly for teachers, but um, how often do you, are you required to go to those? Um, we have our special ed program meetings once a quarter, okay. um, and I go to those, but other than that, the any, only times that I go to any um, meetings like that is when I'm offering the training, uh -huh. um, but mental health just sort of gets left behind more often than not, so yeah. uh, those are days I get to hang out in my office and catch up on news. Are your supervisors receptive to uh, your thoughts, particularly if it would involve implementing a new approach or spearheading a new strategy or campaign? Um, and if not, are there, are there ever power struggles? I think that, well, with my current director, she is a special ed attorney as well, which is liberating. Um, because she's open to new ideas and knows how to conform them to the special education law. But there are times, um, just, you know, on my skill set, there are times that I understand people's behavior where she may want to see the glass half full, and that's not reality-based. And so there is the struggle of, you know, doing what you're told to do with somebody that you know isn't going to be receptive to anything that you offer. So um, it's a fine line to walk, and those are the personality issues are more of a power struggle than than um, implementation issues. Right. If there's if there's something that I want to implement, she'll sort of frame it so that it can be legal, and then we'll implement it. And for that, there's not really a whole lot of power struggle. With some of the more common social injustices facing Americans today, like um, healthcare, health insurance, welfare. Uh, mounting poverty, especially in, in smaller suburban towns, um, how does that influence your profession? How does that make it more imperative to do what you do? Because of all of that stuff, that people don't have access to mental health care. And I think that uh, the Texas Education Agency has really tried to narrow the scope of what I can do to educationally based, like the kid isn't successful with math, um, then I would come in and help him be more successful in math. But he may not be successful in math because he's, um, you know, his parents are yelling at him or he's going through a divorce or, or there's outside ish, emotional issues that are going on that have nothing to do with school and kids don't know how to compartmentalize. Like they can't, like adults, they can't just shut off that sort of emotional what happened at home stays at home. Um, and I think that there's those lines get really blurred and it's difficult to hold that boundary like the Texas Education Agency wants to. But as 
more and more social issues arise and the breakdown of the family happens, the importance of counseling in a school setting will be greater. I don't, that's what I see, especially with the kids, you know, that bring guns to school, bring weapons to school, mm-hmm. um, make weapons in school. You know, mm-hmm. we have had that on occasion. Um, them using drugs at school. I mean, all of those issues. And especially, I've seen more self-mutilation at the school than I have ever before working for CPS. And so, for those kinds of things, I think the state is going to have to understand that how important mental health care is in conjunction with education and educating the whole child and not just trying to get them to understand how to read. Do you feel or have you ever felt like there's any element of personal risk in your field? Um, Are there cases, are there um, sometimes instances that will make you feel uneasy or do you feel like with all your training and all your practice you're um, well equipped to handle any situation? I think that, um, well, first of all, part of part of my job is not only the behavior specialist and the specialty counselor. I'm also, uh, I do the um, risk assessment and debriefing and restraint training for the district. So I'm pretty, I'm very adept at calming down situations. But if I had not had the experience of working for the state agency at CPS, I mean, literally everybody that all of your clients parents hate you I mean it's just part part of the deal mm-hmm. um, if I hadn't had that experience I would not feel as safe as I do um, because there are some parents I mean we've had parents that have threatened to bring weapons to school um, that are desperate to get to know the information about their kids because they'll talk to me and not talk to them um, and I and I just can't reveal it so for that there's personal risk um, but not you know, uh, not so much like I'm going to be physically hurt, but that they would do something, you know, my, put my licensure on the line. Okay, and then the last question I have for this segment is, uh, why do you think more people should lobby for social workers in addition to counselors within public schools? I think, um, first, the idea of school counselor really needs to be examined um, because it's, I think, a more appropriate label would be a school advisor. Because when you say that there are already school counselors in the district, you you know a person would automatically assume, based on the name counselor, that they're providing these counseling services. Um, but but I think that you know the more and more uh, violence there are in schools, treating the guns, treating the you know the um, the terroristic threat, treating treating the lack of ability to read or understand are treating the symptoms, not the problem. I think the problem is, you know, you have more of a breakdown of the family. There's more abuse that has come to light, uh, and that's more socially acceptable, for lack of a better word. And um, those sort of create a recipe for kids that will, will harm in the future or will offend in the future. And as long as we're not serving, you know, the whole child in a mental health capacity, then I think we're setting ourselves up for more and more violence down the line. And I think that, you know, a a better idea would be to, you know, maybe have a school advisor that can do all the guidance and the testing and all of that stuff, but then really look at kids that are at risk for being violent offenders. I mean, they're not just special ed students. Most of our kids that have are self-mutilate or that make terroristic threats or general education students that, you know, they may not have a learning disability, but they certainly have a disability when it comes to understanding empathy and, and understanding 
what their role can have long-term consequences or their choices can have long-term consequences. So I think, you know, until we can recognize that mental health is part of a child and it's part of something that can be irrevocably broken, Mm -hmm. you know, I I just, I worry about what that's going to look like. You know, I have a two-year-old and, and I, I would not put her in a public school past fifth grade because I just don't think that, I don't think it's an, it's a good place. It will be a good place for her. Okay, what just happened? I took a shit. Wow. Yeah, what was what she say? What was that second thing she said again? I forgot. Why did you have to burp missed, that loud? I missed the dude, whole thing. Hurt. <laughs> just so you all know at home, we have headphones on, and when Mike does that, all of us feel pain. That's what I do. Well, good job, Kristen. I think you did fantastic. That was a fantastic. And then, you know what? It's actually really enlightening, too. I, I, I thought our guest was kick-ass. And do you want to give a little bit of her background? I know you kind of went over things. Like, how many years has she been doing social work and everything again? Uh, I, I don't know if she told me exactly how many years oh she's, she's been working with kids. I think it's it's been probably... At least five years. But she's worked in child protective she services. She's CPS. done social work mm-hmm. and some. She worked at a, in a school doing like I yeah, guess counselors the role. But she's yeah, of course she's she said that's currently this. working in a public school, which is why she was able to give me that information, and we really appreciate it. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of good information. She's a great source. I mean, she's worked at different facets. So and then after the interview and stuff, we kind of we all listened to it and chatted it up. And Kristen got some uh, went kind of back with her and did some follow up. But unfortunately, we don't have that on audio, but. Kristen's going to be more than happy to kind of go through the questions and the answers, and then we'll just butt in and interrupt her and say shitty shit. Once yeah. again, I think we, we should have done like uh, me with some kind of voice. Yeah, we're fucking up <coughs> Responding. On Next time, goddammit, we're going to reenact these things. Well, Boggs doesn't like that, apparently. Well, I don't really care He, he doesn't Boggs like likes. the transcript reading. I, I think you're an abomination. I don't, think, I don't think those kids... I think it's more natural if we just, you know, go free for... I don't think Dude. those parents whose kids were touched by priests enjoyed his fucking song over there either but <laughs> i i'm really good at doing voices so i don't see why you gotta hate that's true but i love you so much mm. okay so so what's your uh what's your follow-up to the interview well one of the things that i asked her was if she had been witness to administrators turning a blind eye to negligent teachers in order to uh keep their own jobs so teachers who may have noticed violent issues or even even just the most minor mental health issues uh, and her response is that yes unfortunately she has uh, the behavior might be lost on the parents but it's not lost on the kids that are impacted and that ultimately see that teachers are not always the most moral people not all teachers get into the profession because they love kids and that when possible they will need to be their own advocate and the saddest part, she said, is that the negligent teachers are sometimes working with special needs kids. That's that's horrible. Yep. Now, I will say there are some defenses for teachers, too. Um, I would rather, and this, is, this isn't for special needs or the mental health part, per se, but I don't want people to have the perception listening to that that all teachers are like this or that your administrator shouldn't have your teachers back and then, you know, work out their problems there. So if you're... Having a problem, if you have a child and you're having a problem with the teacher, go to the teacher first and try to resolve the issue. Then go to the administrator. Yeah. Don't just go straight to the administrator. First off, you're undermining your teacher's authority, and they still have authority in that class. And if they can't resolve the issue, then go to the administrator because there's a problem. But even still, I mean, it just goes to show that just because they're a teacher doesn't mean that they're awesome a good person. Or even had the best intentions. That's true. 
It doesn't. Um, another thing I asked her. Sarcastic um, asshole. So I add all that greatness. Yeah. Good bucket. job. Whatever. Continue, Kristen. <laughs> Uh, I, I said, for many decades, we've seen president after president preach his dedication to prioritizing education. But according to the College Board, at least in 2012, reading and math scores reached a 40-year low. And since 1972, Jeez. those scores have either remained stagnant or they've been declining. So poor Not scores surprising. can be attributed to a variety of factors. But I asked her, where do you think the responsibility lies? And why do we keep hearing empty lip service from politicians on changing those outcomes? And she said the interesting thing about those statistics is that there is no nationwide standardized testing. So, for example, in Texas, our standards are higher than, say, those in California. Thus, what the numbers reveal is that California may be higher in the list of those successfully passing standardized tests, but their standards being lower doesn't mean that those kids are smarter. And the lip service from politicians sounds great when they're trying to persuade parents to vote. Uh, however, politics and government-run schools can't produce the same results that the private sector can, and that won't happen. So. Man, I don't think we want to turn it over to private sector. I, anytime private sector gets involved in any aspect, it seems like shit goes downhill. And the well, they're, they're, they're pushing for that hardcore. There was actually a... Uh, Republicans have been with vouchers and everything else. There was a movie that came out, um, starred uh, that, that ugly chick that was in uh, uh, The Dark Knight. What the hell was her name? Maggie Gyllenhaal? Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the ugly chick. Yeah, she, she scares the shit out of me. <laughs> She's a little fucking skull uh, nose looking, yeah. But uh, there was a movie that she made. Uh, damn it, I'll have to find it. Uh, but pretty much the entire movie is like she's a single mom. And uh, she's trying to get good education for her uh, for her kid, and she can't because the uh, public school system doesn't give a shit, and blah, 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 and she's fucking horrible. Um, won't back down is what it's called. Uh, but the, the funny thing about this movie, though, is that it was funded by a production company that's owned by guess who? Uh, I'll give you a hint. Google? They were behind the Tea Party movement. Oh, Coke Brothers? Bam! Precisely. It just took five minutes for me to get it. And uh, the Coke Brothers are also, uh, well, one of them uh, came out and was talking about how uh, the untapped resource of America and a place where you can really make a lot of money is in education. So, hmm, it's kind of curious that yeah. they made a movie belittling and bashing public school. Yeah. I education think the point is, is that the people that are in charge of our public school education system are A, not educators themselves, B, in the back pockets of corporations that want to own private schools to sell them to you, and C, are also part of the corporations that want to make sure that you are stupid as shit, so you're just a mindless drone and you work for them on pennies on the dollar. Because after all, we have to admit that inflation has gone up, uh, wages have not, Mm-mm. And it's just getting harder and harder. Not for uh, everyday Americans. And I mean, it, it's not that far gone either. Like our, or it's not that far off. Like I remember when I was a kid, most families were a single income family. Most. Out of my friends. Um, and now, not so much. Pretty, uh, let's see. Yeah, all of my friends that have a family, 
are all dual income households. And we are. Every single one of them. That's very, very telling. That's because well, we, we talked about this before. And now it's just the norm. Yeah. Bec- and not, not, to, not to talk, not to say that this movement is irrelevant, but it, it almost makes me, and I, I haven't done any research on this, so don't really take me for my word, but this is just like me thinking aloud. It almost makes me question the big push behind the feminine movement. If, does that make sense? Like, it seems like the big push for the feminist movement was happening just as it seemed that you had to have a dual income in order to survive as a family. Mm, I think there's there, a lot. I mean, it, it, I know that's very, like, conspiracy theory-esque, but I don't know. I might have to look into that. Well, when we I'll, 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 I'll look into the stats, and we might have to do a show. I was going to say, when we did the union show and stuff, you saw, like, like I said, late 70s and stuff, when unions started falling apart. That was about the time, also, when wages started stagnating. I think, what we yeah, say? Yeah, and, and they just came out with a report that unions are at an all-time low. Since the 80s, as that's went down as well. Uh, quite in, income for regular workers only went up like five percent. Of course, for for the you know CEOs and shits went up seven hundred fucking percent or whatever. Okay, so getting, that's that's the thing with that. Oh, Kristen, you want to go on to the next? Yeah, question? we're getting terribly off topic. We are. Kinda, we're steering off <laughs> the fucking usual. road. I'm drinking and we're going off the road. We we don't have our drink fucking driving permits. <laughs> we're going <laughs> off the fucking road here. Well, I wanted to point out that according to the Census Bureau, state government revenues have been in a free fall because of falling tax revenues and pension fund investment losses and revenues available for states to fund programs like mental health care plunged almost 31% between fiscal 2008-2009 and dismal economic projections and the scheduled expiration of federal assistance to state Medicaid programs will undoubtedly... uh, lead to deeper cuts in fiscal 2012 budgets. I've got a little bit, of, I guess, some stats on that same stuff there We're on the mental health portion of it. Across the country, it said, you know, like you said, they've cut um, $4.35 billion in uh, public mental health spending from 2009 to 2012, according to the National Association of State Mental Health Programs. Um, let's see, since uh, they deinstitutionalized it in the 60s and 70s, um, 31 states have given their numbers to this association, and they say they've cut about $840 million. Uh, here's just a couple examples. California, their budgets went from $2.8 billion, and it's down $760 million uh, from what they spent in 2009. Um, these are 2009-2012 numbers. South Carolina is down by 39%, Alabama 36%, Alaska, Illinois 30%, and it just goes on. So it's like you said, I mean, these – these are not just small cuts. I mean, these are drastic cuts. I was going to say the other thing, too. When it comes to mental health programs like this, social work, when it comes to education, things like that, um, I, don't, I don't I remember. <clears throat> I know we didn't have an episode last week, so I probably haven't brought this up. But I remember looking at Facebook once, and there was a school district that I have on my news feed. And it says, hey, we're going to make uh, the government is cutting our funding $3.5 million for the next, like, five years. It's going to total about $14 million. And it'll probably stay that way. And we wanted parental um, input on what the budget should look like. And they were looking over that. And they're like, because we were trying to maintain our same standard and our same uh, academic excellence for our school district. And they didn't delete my comment, which was really bizarre because typically (laughs) my comments get deleted. (laughs) I delete his fucking comments. But I basically said, you're not going to be able to maintain your standard and get cuts like that. It's not possible. You're going to cut teachers you're going to have to not buy textbooks for one class you're yeah unless people are willing something. to work for free or something 
Right. <clears throat> that's happening. Yeah. So, <laughs> and that's exactly what you said. They always cut education first. And then in the first thing in education, first thing you'll get cut is like counselors. Counselors, it's, mental health, so, social work, things like that. And you, you can't maintain a school doing this. And the, the root to this, though, and I need I really want people to understand this. You know, you know how you fix that? You pay more taxes. Don't say that to the fucking rich, dude. Phil Mickelson <laughs> was bitching this week because he has to pay more fucking taxes. Oh, oh poor, poor baby. Now he can't afford to have 15 Mustangs. That Pobrecito. That piece of shit needs to work on his fucking golf game. Quit whining about his taxes. Well, that's the thing is, you know, programs like that and our education, that's the future of the nation. Whether you like it or not, whether you're, you know, upset that you pay taxes that go to poor families. Mm-hmm. You know, there are situations where a poor family produces a child that gets out there and does something well within the walls of this nation. So, you know, I think there's there's this really strange, like, are they my poor type attitude with a lot of the rich people? <laughs> kind of, you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. By the way, that's a... The right uh, kind of poor. Group, but, you know... <laughs> Uh, you know, the reason that we, you know, as a, as a politician don't say shit like that and why it's never come up is because saying you need to pay more taxes is such a dirty thing to say to people. Yeah, but, you know, people are like, look at this deficit we've got. We've got deficit spending. You know how you get out of that? You have to pay more taxes. They have two options. They can print the money, which I know no one wants them to do, including Eric, or they take in more taxes. Those are two options. Yeah. That's it. They have two ways of doing it. So... If you want them to pay off this deficit that you're so, you know, weighted down by, for instance, you have to pay more taxes. Well, I also think that we need to start taking, and I know that this is another dirty thing that a lot of people hate to hear, but I also think that we need to start taking more from large companies. I was going to say, and that's something we're going to get into in part two, but Eric brings a great point. We'll get into, I got the numbers on it. Not just raising taxes. If we cut a lot of this corporate warfare, war, welfare, fuck me in the ass out, then it could definitely we <laughs> we could definitely fucking solve a lot of these issues as well. Well, like I said, we'll get into that next time. Well, that that same report that had the uh, <laughs> that was talking about the um, uh, the decline of. Uh, Oh my God, I am so fucking out of it. <laughs> Eric has had a 55-hour. I was going to say let's let's just say Eric's been up since 4:30, and it's already like I don't even know what time, but it, we're eight. later it's later eight. in the evening. Eight. And he's oh he's had a rough. 4:30 day, in the kids. morning, and it's 8 p.m. Just just to be clear. Yeah, he's had a um, rough day. Okay, so the decline of unions has also correlated with the amount of money that corporations are getting increasing, and the amount that the workforce is getting decreasing. Dramatically, mm-hmm. dramatically. So <clears throat> if they're getting all this extra money and don't pay taxes on it, we need to start taxing them. Mm-hmm. I know that that's like a dirty word. And, oh my God, they're going to outsource and start going to other f- countries and blah, blah, yep. blah, whatever, whatever. But I mean, it, you got to look at what, what gets cuts from schools. Like you said, it, it's all, it's the things that are, matter most. Like the, the things that matter least, like, I mean, there, there's a lot of, educational processes that just don't really make a whole lot of sense and are just repetitive and stupid and they teach, teach for the test and all that shit. But you got to look at the things that stimulate a growing mind and the things that encourage that are the things that get cut. Mm-hmm. Physical education, arts programs. mental health programs, arts programs, music programs. Music is huge for yep. a developing brain. I mean, j- all kinds of stuff that just helps promote a better person and producing a, a, a a decent person 
and helping them uh, stimulate their brain and have a higher IQ and all that stuff. And we cut that shit. And, I mean, it plays into the corporate game because then they can just hire stupid assholes at minimum wage and make them work their asses off and get another job. Anyway, we're going hey. off topic again. <clears throat> Kristen, nah, back no more to than that. You. We'll be right back to it. On this, though, there's a uh, – oh. she has a uh, – I read this because I read the report that you had. She has a, a follow-up question that you asked that she answers that goes over, um, you know, basically – Well, let her just go. We'll go down the row. It's – um, yeah, go ahead and go on. I'll find it. Since oh, I'm at Jesus it. Christ. We'll give that back to her so she can do it. All right. I'm not going to talk for 10 minutes. Kristen, go. <laughs> oh, here we go. I'm sorry. I found it naturally. No, shut up, Box. Oh, Kristen. Jesus Christ. No, so we were talking no. about uh, uh, the question she asked. I'll just read this. Is at the college and university level, if a student does not comply with GPA standards set in their program of interest, he or she is usually put on some sort of probation. If grades do not improve, should we penalize students at the high school level in that fashion? Right. And this is another thing that I think could change that's not necessarily monetary, but would help our school system. Um, that's my chair, isn't it? I like it better when she's Yeah, I was hearing it. something really weird in the background. I'm like, what the fuck is that, that noise? I'm twisting my chair and it's squeaking. Yeah. Sorry. God. Anyway, so uh, the response that she gave, though, is really – it shows you a lot about why, you know – And but uh, what I'm saying here is that the, the solution she gives would require more funding for this and more taxes. It says, the idea works if the student is choosing to not make the grades necessary for success – However, there are an overwhelming majority of students that without accommodations would not be able to meet the state standards to pass. There is no educational safety net like a work program or a trade school that meets the needs of students that are unable to educationally progress past high school. We've talked about this before where we've talked about like the alternative education and stuff like that. But, you know, <laughs> God <laughs> almighty, the chair is ridiculous. Um, these types of programs that we have... I mean, when are they? I mean, how 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 far away are we from, for instance, cutting, you know, the salary for a teacher who does like special needs classes? You know what I'm saying? Like, when are we just gonna say, ah, eh, they can't come to school anymore? There's not a point. They how far away are we from that? They won't cut them. What they'll do is they'll just cut back on the amount of teachers, and then what they'll probably do is like they're doing some of these districts now with other things like busing and stuff like that, where they'll make the parents will have to pay out of pocket probably additional funds like if they have kids in those programs they'll probably have to pay additional or something for them. i mean they'll probably go to something like that first i don't know give it back to chris i like it better when she reads them god damn you bogs fucking ruining the show yeah sure am <laughs> okay so i just wanted to mention oh, something yes. about stop about uh the texas medical association which, by the way, is meant to support funding to expand the availability of community-based mental health care for adults and children, including prevention and early intervention, and support funding to sustain and expand state investments to reconfigure mental health crisis services. So the facts that I have are that Texas ranks 49th in the nation for the amount it spends per person for I mental see. health care. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's so right. More than 4.3 million Texans, including 1.2 million kids, suffer from a mental health disorder. In 2007, legislators invent, uh, invested $82 million to redesign the state's mental health crisis system, which was a huge boost at the time. And since then, uh, we have not met that amount. So. Yeah, I saw those. And also, um, it said that economic impact of mental uh, illness on the state for the local governance is more than 1.5 billion a year 
and they say that each person that's uh, repeatedly jailed, hospitalized, or admitted for like uh, detox centers or whatever can cost the state an estimated fifty-five thousand a year, which is much more than had they actually had programs in place. Like for instance, they say like substance abuse um, and mental illness type programs. If the state spent the money to address the effects of the abuse, it would probably cost an average of about thirteen hundred per person. Um, but since they don't, it costs more than 17000 per person, you know, for society. I mean, you know, we're all paying in this for tax dollars. So if you want to look at it that way, because people were like, I don't give a shit. Well, think about you it. Financial. Yeah, you should give a shit to begin with. But if you don't, if you're only concerned about money, like some people, then just think about it that way. It's 17% higher or 1,700% higher. What else you got? We got... We- this is good stuff. Good stuff. This is good stuff. Um, I also have the Treatment Advocacy Center's federal policy agenda to improve mental illness treatment options. So they have three options. The first one is to foster universal adoption and use of court-ordered outpatient treatment for at-risk individuals by establishing and funding a national assisted outpatient treatment demonstration project. Um Mental health courts became widespread after a similar federal project in the early 2000s. So the second thing is to promote reform of civil commitment laws and practices with educational programs to train judges, law enforcement, and other stakeholders on their use of these laws, which exist to safeguard those with the most severe mental illness and the public. And then the last one is to provide sufficient public psychiatric beds for individuals in psychiatric crisis or with the chronic uh, mental illness by repealing the IMD exclusion, which creates an economic incentive for states to eliminate public psychiatric beds. I don't even know why you would want to do that, but geez. Like, <laughs> I love hey, your this, fuck that. Let's not even I, give I love his analysis. I don't know. You want to do that? Fuck it. <laughs> is that your professional opinion, sir? I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you since we wanted Kristen to talk. Well, you guys just want to like ask her questions. And how do you feel about that, Kristen? Yeah. How do you feel, Kristen? No, mm. I'm just the messenger. <laughs> way to contribute. Then. That's the way we all are. We you just... literally told me before this. Yeah, hey, I'm going to contribute more. Got anything else, Kristen? I do. Oh my okay. god. So this, it, Take this us is home, just baby. kind of a, a tag along with the Treatment Advocacy Center. So on December 10th of 2012, the Detroit Free Press issued a common sense agenda for improving mental health care in Michigan, hoping that other states would adopt similar agendas. They identified seven issues and made a, a prescription or a solution for addressing them. So does anybody want to take over here or? You're, you're doing you fine. You to talk. Go for I'm it. I think you're doing great. Boring, okay. and I will p- say if you want, we can take a bulletin at a time and discuss each point. And okay. people said, you know, they wanted more Kristen because she has a hot voice. So this is, we're giving them what they want. Okay. So. Get to our man and Kristen talking. So we've got families and civil commitment. The solution would be to make it easier for families with mentally ill loved ones to get a court order for inpatient or outpatient treatment. In favor. Go. <laughs> the Thumbs second up. one. Mental health courts, the solution would be to maintain and expand them. Sure. Thirdly, Mm. homelessness, the solution would be to make it easier for people living on the streets with mental illness to access mental health services and disability benefits. Or just round them all up and 
Shoot him. Shoot him. Number four, police officers. Solution would be to pass legislation mandating that law enforcement training include a mental health curriculum. Ooh, I like that. I do that, like that a lot. That I think most of the officers should go through that. I like Number that a lot. five, jails functioning as mental health institutions. Solution, use diversion strategies to keep people with mental illness out of county jails and find ways to treat those who remain incarcerated. You know, and there's a problem there with the lack of funding because a lot of times they use the jails as a fucking way to facilitate these people. It's like, well, we got nowhere else to put them. Let's just put them in fucking prisons. It's well, like, now they're also yeah. privatizing jails, so what's their incentive to make people better? That's true. They're not going to want to put the if funding into it. they're making money it. off of them being in. Yep. Number six. That's a sad point. Prisoners with mental illness in segregation. Solution, ban isolation for inmates with mental illness except for security reasons and stop switching treatments from brand name to generic. Absolutely. Socializing definitely helps, especially the mentally handicapped. Mm -hmm. And the last one, community mental health care. Enact a moratorium on closing pu public hospital beds and consider more funding for a community mental health system. You know, and that's one of those things. That, one reason why we were kind of talking about this, too, is it, the mental health aspect is it really came up with the Sandy Hook shooting. and they made a big point about that, you know, with the gun control is we need to put more focus on it. And that's one of the things there in that the community of uh, Newtown there talked about how what little funding they did put into their mental health I guess, community outreach, whatever the program they had, they had totally cut it out over the last couple of years. So they have no, so like that kid, I mean, it's not like it could have solved the problem, but you know, if, if parents know that their kids are having issues, like in that community, for instance, they really had nowhere to turn to because they had cut that, the funding in that program out completely. So I think that is important. Last point for me. Uh, I think a lot of people really need to look at themselves when it comes to their attitude about mental health like this. Because, for instance, for the Sandy Hook thing, you know, watching a lot of those crime shows on TV, for instance, you know, the first reaction is, man, what a psycho. What a, you know, what a mentally unhealthy or mentally unstable person that did this horrible thing. We need to just shoot him. They have this reaction to reach for a gun and not reach for some sort of help. And I think that needs to change. Damn it. So you're saying my analogy of kill the madman doesn't work? No, I think that's bullshit. Damn it. I do think that's bullshit. Killed my own argument. Yep, sure did. <laughs> now, <clears throat> it's a metaphor, people. Metaphor. It is, but it's a false analogy. Anyway, so uh, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. the point here is not to not to get into another fist fight with Eric, but <laughs> you know, anytime that you have a program fight, like fight, that sets up fight, this, fight, you know, and you think fight, to yourself, fight. that person wasn't right, that person had a mental problem, that person needed help. You know, the first thing that we do societally is reach for a prison, reach for a gun. Reach for some way to just deal with the problem, throw it under the rug, and forget about it. Instead of, hey, let's try to help somebody, which is the advocacy of this show, is if you're going to, you know, host these, and, you know, God forbid we pay more taxes to handle that kind of thing. Because that's what it would take if you're going to up these programs. That's what it would take to educate. That's what well, it would take to get I don't think we would counselors. pay more taxes because we're broke. <laughs> I was going to say. They got, we got nothing to give. I know, so. but that's not what you hear over the media. <laughs> that's not what you hear screamed at the top of their lungs. <laughs> The whole well, time. What they do is raise, I mean, they could, you know, slightly raise property but, taxes, but which is what they Fox, do now. I mean, the, those people worked just. hard for their money. I mean, that's capitalism, man. Yeah, and living here is a luxury. And living in this country, because, you know, I hear the same thing too is thank God we get to. That's true. Thank God that we get to speak our minds and we get to just have our opinions and no one comes after us over our opinions. And we, yeah, you live in a really great country. Now, why don't you support it? 
You know, I would think at this point, if you're rich right now and you lived off of this country the way that you have, and you're well off, then you know, you'd be grateful as fuck we're to live here. Obsessed over individualism. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. absolutely obsessed about thinking about ourselves. Well, look at the being... Red Scare. The Red Scare was exactly like that. I mean, that's you can't have any socialized anything in this country because we're about the individual. We're about the corporation. We're about you know getting out in this free market. Even I mean, though our police force is socialized, even though our hospitals are socialized, even though there's so many socialized things that we take advantage of and don't care about. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not bringing up my anti-money thing, but it stems from the the Facebook post that you had about capitalism, and then I kind of chimed in a little bit. But my whole point was that you can't just like chalk things up to labels or stereotypes. Like most people would, you know, if I talked to them about my idea of how society should run, they would call me like a socialist or communist. Instead of actually taking what I say into consideration and putting it out on the table, you know, I, I have the idea that there are no taboos. That it, it's it's all out there, and it's just whatever's the best available answer. That's what we should go with. But we don't do that. Instead, we just stick with labels, and uh, we say that, oh well, you know, if you start taxing the rich, then we're going to be a socialist nation or whatever. You know, you don't. We don't try and think of it in terms of how it could better ourselves. We just think of it as far as a negative. And we, thing- ju- like you said, we just sweep it under the rug. The other thing about the the rich person complaining is it's it's not only such a fucking slap in the face, but it's also something that I never understood. If you're in a higher tax bracket, aren't you grateful? You're making more money. That's yeah. where you'd like to be is in a higher tax bracket. But no, how else are they going to afford their Porsches and all that stuff? I know, right? All right, Kristen, awesome job. You did fantastic. Thank you, and thank you, Amanda. Yes, thank you yes. very Definitely much for that, that interview. That interview was gold. It, yeah, it was really good. I mean, she did a fantastic job, and I think she gave it a lot of great answers. And she didn't hold back, which is what I really appreciated. You know, she didn't beat around the bush. And um, but stay tuned, kids. Yep. Is that sweat I see? She becomes good.